Welcome to the podcast that's dedicated to helping business owners prepare for exit so you can maximize value and exit on your terms. This is the Exit Insights podcast presented by Succession Plus. I'm Daryl Bates Brownsort, and today I'm talking to Ken Gorman. Ken is from Transworld M&A Advisors, and he looks after business owners looking to sell their business. Welcome to the podcast, Ken. Thanks, Daryl. Happy to be here. Great stuff. So, Ken, why don't we start? What is an M&A advisor? What do, what do they do for, for business owners looking to sell their business? Well, basically, it, selling a business, uh, people think of it like selling a house. And, and the reality is it's a lot more complicated than that. It can take, on average, 12 months. Uh, there's a lot of stages in the process. And I think one thing to understand is, in, in the UK anyway, 80% of businesses that go to market never sell. And so it's a tough gig. In in all fairness, a lot of the high street businesses drag up that statistic, but it's still a difficult thing to to get done. And it's also very personal. Um, uh, We work with the small business space, 50 million and under, and typically, um, uh, you know, it's it's generally the the owners that founded the business 10, 15 years ago are the ones selling. Typically, they're retiring. And it's very personal to them. So it's not just about selling it like an asset. They want to make sure the people in the business are taken care of. They want to make sure that the clients are taken care of, that their baby continues on as a better version of itself. And this takes a a process of going through and finding uh, someone that would be a good acquisition partner and will fulfill all of those things, not just the financial aspects, running a process uh, and, um, and getting to the end. Um, you know, and, and having a happy outcome. And, and our job is to meet them in the very beginning of that process and be the ones buying champagne on closing day when the contracts are being signed and taking the journey with them. And obviously we're doing this all day for, for a living and we actually care about this process. And I don't like the word broker because it doesn't feel like that. We're much more uh, like a dating agency in the beginning and and sort of project managing a wedding between the two parties when they we actually get exclusive with somebody. So so our job is to, to meet somebody in the beginning and take them through a process to make sure that they are in one of the statistics of one of the ones that sold with a good outcome. Mm. So one of the 20%. That's right. And I guess you touched on a couple of things there, where you, and we're talking specifically SMEs. I think you said, was it up to 50 mil sort of revenue bracket? No, 50 million enterprise value. It, it, right. It, we, the, 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 what the small business space is, people discuss, is it 30, 40, or 50 million? It, but the profile tends to be founder owners yeah um that it, that's the more important part is that this it's very human this process at this when you get above that you tend to get um professional management teams it's not founder owners anymore and the game changes into being more clinical at our level it's it's much more personal and the buyers are the same so yeah, it's personal so uh, mm-hmm. and when it's at that personal level it you know the the owners are often struggling with the dilemma of, you know, how do I want to maximize the value? I want to get a great return on, on what I've invested my life in. And at the same time, I want to look after my employees, the people who have helped me get there. And and it's a bit of dilemma getting the right balance so that we're we're exiting and and yeah, you know, the future of the business is is you know understands us and and what's personal about us. I guess there's some of the things you need to juggle as well. And then the other thing is, you know, you, you've mentioned they're the founder of the business. So it's 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 the business that they've been, been building for 10, 20, 30, 40 years or even more. 
And so what they've known is building and growing the business. They've never sold a business before. So because they do have that strong emotional attachment, but they've never actually sold a business, it's not something they know how to do. Is is that the gist of it? Yeah, exactly. You end up you end up with these. Um, uh, one is the, the owners definitely want to you know get as much as they can out. Often, you know, it's their retirement pot. However, the, the equally often. A, a good business owner has made a lot of money over many years and they, and they may have enough in their retirement pot. So that that ends up not being as much of an imperative uh, in some cases as others. Um, but then the second competing factor is is that the, they do care deeply, particularly about the key people in the business, that they have a future and get their chance to make money. Um, and and it's and it's balancing these two, you know, um, um, aspects together and so it's funny but the 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 key people that are staying obviously become an integral part of the business since the buyer cares very much that they're going to stay in the business and be in the game and so these people now will be joining the buyer so as they get to know the buyer during the process they end up with their feet in these two camps of still being loyal if you will to the old owner but developing a loyalty to the new guy and they find themselves in this no man land so a lot of my job is to to help people negotiate all these emotional um, hallways, if you want to think about it that way. And it's very, very easy for deals to fall through. Uh, during the due diligence phase, which is which is what happens after uh, we, we decide to date exclusively on one person, there's a 75% failure rate, according to the International Business Brokers Association. They have all these statistics, and that's one of them. So only one in four make it through. I would say my personal accounts are more like one in two. But what it shows you is it's very difficult to get to the end and it's very easy to fall off if you don't get some of these things right. And so one of one of the big things that we're doing is running a process. Um, Transfer has been doing this for 40 years and we I, we were trained. And it, more importantly, not having what should be good transactions, good partnerships, good relationships fall out over silly things because that's what can happen is people get the wrong end of the stick and 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 these aren't the emotional side of these aren't managed correctly so we spend a lot of time with that okay so we're we're, we're always balancing the, the the commercial and the cultural aspects of the deal i guess for, for these owners so ken you, you've got a lot of experience you you, you say you're very hands-on in your experience, is is there a right time to sell a business? I guess in terms of the life cycle, or you know, is it sometimes when it's easier and better to sell a business than others? Um, my experience is that, uh, and it, it it's a great. I, I, I'm an I'm an accountant. I was a chartered accountant with Ernst and Young, and I've had that training is to give you an intellectual mathematical answer. But my experience tells me differently. Um, most of our clients are retirement, you know, um, and um, and but retirement can happen at different times. We get people 55 that want to retire. I have people that are 75 that are selling their businesses. So there, there's like 20, 25 year. So it's not as easy as saying what age. What we find is the best way I can describe it is that there's a switch that goes off in the heart that says it's time to 
move on. Different people describe that differently. Uh, it, it, you can have a, a quasi-spiritual aspect that the universe is moving you on and your life's meant to go in a different direction. You can describe it practically that you've just lost enthusiasm and you no longer want to go through the next season, if you will, to use a sports analogy. You know, uh, you just don't have it in you. But I, that's what I hear from people. I don't have it in me anymore. It's time, Ken. I need to leave. That's when it tends to happen because the the, the person driving the business now, now no longer has the enthusiasm or the drive to carry on. And it's important because it can take 18 months before they're able to leave once we start a process. It takes 12 months on average to sell in a six-month transition period, something like that, that it's important once that switch has gone off that we start selling now. And so with the important thing is that people evaluate where they are in themselves and in, in, in with that. And they're honest with themselves. What happens if they're not honest and they don't respond to that switch is, is the, the things start declining. And maybe they do end up being forced to come to us two years later, but the EBITDA, you know, the profits, all that are being cut in half. The, the things aren't, the, things get worse in the business. And so you have an asset that's not as easy to sell and, is, and, and the people suffer and all that. So it's important to respond to that. So that, that's our feeling on that. Sometimes it's a health issue. You know, someone's had a health issue and has to change. Sometimes we get younger people that want to sell because they, they've just built this one and they're the type of personality that needs to move on and build the next one. And this one's got too big. Um, that can happen. That's another version of the switch. You know, I'm done with this. You know, if I'm a painter, I'm done with this painting and I need to move on to the next one. But we always examine that that's 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 happened in them. And I, I know that's not a logical answer, but to anyone that's ever had it happen, it's, it's, it's how it seems to roll out. Mm. Yeah, I see business owners, they get to a point and they've grown their business so far. Um, and, and, you know, some of the feedback is that they just feel totally stressed and the business is taking over their life and, and it's just overwhelming. Um, and, and from what I've seen is from an operational perspective is is things are just no longer, you know, no longer operating as smoothly as they can because often they don't have systems and structure in place. So they either need, I think, as you're suggesting there, is to get a different person in to run the business that can introduce the systems and structure and, and frameworks to take the business to the next level, or have someone come in from a consulting perspective and introduce those systems and structures and, and educate the, the founders, the owners on how to, how to drive those. Um, and when I see that happen, I, I've seen business owners go, you know what? I've fallen back in love with my business. You know, I've, I've seen them say, look, can we not sell the business? Can we can we just hold on for another couple of years? And that way I'll go out on a high rather than a low, you know, after so so many years. So, yeah, I take your point. It, it's really an emotional journey that, that uh, we have to get ahead around because if the business owners don't have their heart in it anymore, the risk is, I guess, from your perspective, that if they haven't got their heart in it, they're going to drag the value down and make it less attractive to be acquired or definitely not at a, a, a maximized value. Yeah, that's right. And 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 also, I just uh, also wanted to really agree with what you just said uh, and, and um, about if, if I get um, that that sometimes it, people confuse this switch in the heart for needing to leave with just being overwhelmed in the business. I generally, if I if I encounter somebody that's in their 30s or 40s and wants to sell their business, nine out of 10 times, 
I'll talk them out of selling their business because a good business that's making money is, is a good thing and a gem. You know, 80% of businesses in this country don't make it five years, 90% don't make it 10 years. And if you have one that's really making it, uh, it's a shame to get rid of it because, you know, and, and so often what I find is, is that people became entrepreneurs. The number one reason was freedom. Mm. They wanted freedom. Money was secondary. So they get the business and it starts doing well. And suddenly they've got HR issues and VAT issues and reports and all the problems. That, and, the, and they find that they don't have freedom anymore. And their solution is to I, I need to sell the business to get my freedom back. When in fact, what they what, that there may be another solution in that they get a consultant to come in. Let's like. Daryl, I'm thinking of you exactly to come in and help them understand how to take a step back, have other people delegate, put systems in place and that kind of stuff to get their freedom back within the business they already have. And, and it's in that. So the switch really hasn't gone off. It's simply that they're not feeling the freedom anymore and they just simply need to get that freedom back and then um, and then keep the business where the so, so that. But if I get somebody that's over 60, usually they're needing to sell because they they just have a limited amount of time um, to um, to actually go do other things besides do the business. And so a lot of times I always say a business sell for people over 60s, we're actually buying time. You know, time is one of the the, the products of, of a business sale. We're giving you time. You're getting time, you know, back. But, yeah, it's important to distinguish between that. And and I can't em emphasize enough how important it is to that people are not just responding to this freedom issue because they'll never get to the end of a transaction if it yeah. was only freedom they wanted because they'll realize during the process they had to jump. Um, the um, uh, the the other thing is that um, um, we find that, that that a lot of people the switch hasn't gone off but they know it's going to go off in the next three to five years and that's great because now we have time or, or they have time to work on the business, to put systems in place and to work with uh, like like you guys in particular, uh, Daryl, to to improve the business, to improve the bottom lines, to deal with key man issues, all the things that increase the value of a business. So we put people in two categories. One is the switch has gone off. They need to leave. We need to get going. They've only got 18 months before they're really going to lose enthusiasm. We need to start our process. Or they know it's going to go off in the next three to five years and fantastic. We, we put them up with you, you work with them for a couple of years and we, we you know, significantly increase the value of the business and really get it ready so that when we arrive and they are ready to sell, we've got a fantastic assets to sell that that's, 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 um, looks very solid to a buyer. Okay, so, so playing with that a bit, I, I've, I've spoken to other brokers on the, on the podcast and learned a bit about their process. So, so you just touched on something there. So for, for the listeners of the show to 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 gain from the, the learning of, of all the experience of the, the other guests on the show and, and you know especially people like yourself Ken what's the ideal scenario when a business approaches you and they go look Ken Ken it's time I've run out of energy uh, but the business is in great shape you know what does a business look like when they come to you in an ideal scenario to to make your job easier and to help them maximize value and and really exit on their terms rather than have the the buyer dictating terms to them yeah that's a great question um number one and is uh is good books and records you've got to have your financials accurate uh because people th there's a head and a heart to selling businesses and, and the heart part we're talking a lot about the heart on this call so far and the way we're feeling and, and and you know when you buy a house you have head and heart 
you, you, you and your partner love the house, but then you have to go away and do the head stuff. Can we afford the payments? Is it close enough to the schools for the kids and all that? It's the same. So from a head perspective, the people will need to do a lot of financial modeling and analysis, and they must be able to rely on the data that they're looking at. If they don't, it increases the perception of risk. And when you have perception of risk, valuation goes down. There's a very direct relationship. You know, eminent risk runs right through the M&A paradigm, and the higher the risk, the lower the value. It's simple. That That's a longer discussion some other time. But um, so good books and records. You got to have good systems. Second thing is, um, is the quality of the revenue. Someone's in a business sale is really about buying your future profit in most cases. And, and think of the business as a sausage machine and the sausage is profit. And what someone's really doing is buying your future sausage and they're going to give it to you up front so you can go to the beach. That's the basic business sale. Well, they have to have confidence in that uh, in that revenue is going to come in. And so we, we like repeating customers. We like contracts. We like, you know, so, so anything we can do to, and, and we, we don't like it when you have all half of your revenue or significant portion with one customer, because if that customer were to go away, then the business looks fundamentally different. So we don't like it when one customer is more than 15% of your turnover, things like that to get the customer and the revenue profile. So it looks as solid as possible. Uh, is possible. Uh, the second big one is uh, is the key person issue. The 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 people are part of that sausage machine. You know, it's it's your your business is like a specialist plane, and we need a pilot. You know, to run it. The buyer probably is not going to know how to run your 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 business. So it's going to rely on the key people in it. And if the seller if, who's going to be leaving is one of those key people, that's a problem because what we find is is that the people that run businesses have an X factor. It's how they were able to build the business in the first place. And when they leave, there's a leadership void. They, you may have people that know how to do the day-to-day -day management, but a leadership void from the sex. And so the, the buyer needs to come in and replace the a little bit of a leadership void, but he needs good operational people that so the business will keep running. The sausage machine will be will, will keep smoothly running. If you have an owner that that all the key customer relationships are with him and and he's doing the contracting and the invoicing and all that kind of stuff, that's a problem because when he goes, you know, no buyer is going to be able to walk into that and and in any 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 reasonable time period keep the machine running. So the more that the owner has backed out of the business so that when he leaves, there's minimal impact, the better. We love when our um, our clients talk about how much golf they play when, when they're meeting buyers, you know, because it demonstrates that they're in the holidays that they took, the three weeks they took in the Maldives. Brilliant. You were able to leave for three weeks. Fantastic. You know, so so the key person issue. The other the other thing, you know, is it all the, 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 the business has systems and um, and processes and procedures. It, it's well, the machine is well documented. It's not reliant on people, but on processes. It's, it's so people can understand it. People can be swapped in and out and replaced. These, the, all these things increase confidence that the machine's gonna keep running after the sale. And of course, with confidence, valuation goes up. Um, the other thing um, is is um, that our supplier relationships are solid. You know, if you have, I've had I've had clients that have one key supplier, and if that, you know, say they're they're importing a certain kind of machine, uh, and if that were to suddenly be severed, the entire business would collapse. So you have the opposite of the customer situation on the supplier situation, and also if they have any relationships with um, uh, with any entities that that. that them not having that relationship would severely impact the business. So, so it's all about de-risking it um, and, and quality of earnings and making sure that the people are going to transfer and that kind of thing. Those are ideal. And, um, and also the, the capital structure. 
Um, it's okay if the business has debt in it. And, uh, in fact, that can be a good thing as long as that debt transfers. If we have non-transferable debt, it's a little bit more complicated. Um, but the 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 most businesses are bought with some debt, and so we want to make sure that when a lender looks into the business, you know, it's got a good credit rating and it looks solid, and it's it, you know, and we're going to be able to get debt on the business because whatever debt we get is going to end up being part of the closing payment for for my client for the seller, and so those are important as well. Um, um, and, 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 and I guess stock control and all that goes along with that. And, and also some businesses are very asset intensive, understanding what assets you own and what their market value is. Uh, again, it goes back to good books and records, but just to mention that these, I'm just running in my mind things that have caused issues, but, but it's all that kind of stuff. You know, the more, the more that's documented and, and visible, the more confidence and the quicker and easier the process goes. Mm -hmm. And, and you've, you've talked a bit about, let's call it business operations and, and internal stuff in the business. Ken, what about external stuff? And, and what I'm thinking about is perception in the marketplace to brand, um, IP or knowledge about proven process or, or things in the business that you can only get from this business. You can't get from elsewhere like product or IP. How much of a, an impact do those things have on the valuation? Um. It depends. This is a good question. My, I have 30 years in the software industry, and, it, and it, it, we get into this a lot. And, and um, the in the end, businesses are sausage machines, and the people are buying future sausage. And, and because this, that the the future profit or cash flows have to pay for whatever mechanism the investment, you know, whether it's paying off a bank loan or an investor or whatever, at, you know, to give them a return. And so in the end, every, we have to always come back to that's the, the and, and, and if it says, well, yeah, but the software company got a 50 times, you know, profit valuation or, you know, yes, they did. But somebody, whoever acquired them, whether it was Facebook or, or Microsoft or something, somebody sat in a, in a, with a spreadsheet and made a buy versus build decision that they could take this technology and they, they could bring it to market faster by buying it than building it. And, um, and it would have a certain amount of profit associated with it. And that's what drove that valuation. So wherever you look, so, so I'm, I, I really, um, it, you, you either, you either sell the assets in the business. So if I, I've had CNC shops with 400,000 pound machines, you know, maybe they have three of them. That's 1.2 million pounds in machines. And they say, Ken, we could just sell our machines. Sure. Go ahead. You, you can, you've got one point and they, they, they see great value with that, but, but their cash flow, they may have. 700,000 in profit, which means we can get them almost 3 million in evaluation. So I said, you can either sell your future cash flow and get a 3 million pound valuation, or you can sell your machines for 1.2 million. You can't do both. You either sell the cow or the milk, you decide. And so this is where assets come in. So the so any assets that they have, whether it's cool IP or whatever, have to be translating into profit somehow. And, and so the only reason a buyer would give them more value for something really cool that could only be got from them or whatever is if the buyer could take that more value than the, than the normal mathematics on the cash flow is if the buyer could take that like my Facebook example and leverage it in a way that the, the current company is not to create more profit. Mm. Um, but in the end, it always has to come down to how much profit it can produce. It doesn't have an inherent value, just like the CNC machine. The business is an entity. It produces a certain cash flow. And, um, and but, the, but the cash flow the buyer is worried about, and this is really important, is the cash flow in the, after the sale. Mm. 
right? The only reason we look at historical financials is to help because we don't have a crystal ball, is to help us determine what the future cash flow is going to be. So he's going to look at it from his perspective. So if he can leverage something they have in a way they have it and produce more profit, it, it can you know, it can put upward pressure on valuations, I guess. This is very, not a very common scenario, that, but, um, but normally we really stick to what future cash flow is going to be. I, th I think the key message that I've taken from that, and, and clearly you've got a lot of knowledge and experience there, Ken, is that if the business owner feels they've got some product or, or, or brand IP, you know, and one or the other or both, you know, they need to demonstrate how this generates extra cash for them above and beyond yes. their competitor who doesn't have the equivalent. Um, and that'll already show up in the financials and and, right. and profit number that will help increase um, the valuation formula. So, yeah, and, and the reason I ask is that you know, often, and I, I'm sure you've seen this as well, that there's a lot of businesses out there who are at the smaller end of the, the SME size and, and they're operating in a general or a local regional market. And they've invested at some point in branding and, and they've got a nice logo and they've got the color scheme and, and, and everything looks the same. But if their brand is only known in that local market, but people are really still, the customers are still really buying the people, they still, yeah, they associate the people with the brand, but they're really buying the, the reputation of the individuals in the business then in that scenario, the brand is definitely not adding any extra asset value to the business. And um, but it's a part of the the growth cycle or the maturing um, you know size and scale of the business. And they need to go through that journey as they scale up uh, in their business cycle. Well, from that perspective, the if you're able to go beyond the individuals and into a brand, that decreases risk. Mm. Yeah, because I'm now not reliant. Imagine it, it, instead of a brand, it was reliant on one person that could leave. There's that's risk. And remember, uh, and but imagine it's a brand and we could swap people in and out. There's less risk. And in that case, the valuation, it, it puts upward pressure on the valuation for sure. You know, but that's right. that's a function of the of the, the there's two calculations, right? It's the the projected profit flow and the multiple. And that puts pressure on the multiple side of it. Mm. The, yeah. the the actual brand itself has to demonstrate that it can deliver profits somehow uh, to, to have value. You know, that's so it's we're, we're talking about two sides of the equation. Yeah. So it's a really good insight there. If, if the brand is 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 depersonalizing it and people are coming to the brand and I guess the extreme of this is, is Coke or Pepsi. People go into a deli and they ask for a can of Coke. You know, they don't mean Pepsi, they mean Coke. They are specifically asking for a brand and the, and the, if they can't get it at that deli, they'll walk on to the next deli where they can get a Coke. For That's right. In extreme situations, that's the ultimate that uh, every business wants to achieve and they've got some real valuation in their brand. Okay, so agreed. We've, we've got businesses who, um, you know, they, they've, they've, prepared themselves they've they're, they're focused on their assets they're focused on tidying up their accounts their, their financials are clean they, they've got a good history they've, they can demonstrate that you know they're having three week holidays playing lots of golf they come to you you make an assessment and you go that looks fantastic we can probably get a really good valuation for you we can present you to the market really quickly they 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 go to market they get people they they sign heads of terms why would a business fail or a business you know, uh, um, exit fail after the heads of terms have signed, Ken? 
what what would stop a business pro- a sale proceeding then? Okay, and it's and it's important to say that um, although the IBVA says there's a 75% failure rate in due diligence, it doesn't mean the whole project fails. In fact, it doesn't because half of ours are not completing either, and and um, and yet we're selling 80% of our listings. So it it's um, uh, it, we always have a backup buyer that we s- slot into the process. You don't ever lose what you've done. It's kind of like you carry on from wherever you were because we have data rooms in the cloud and everything you've done up in that point with a buyer, a new buyer just slots into. But anyway, to answer your question, um, so there's there's three main, uh, I get asked this a lot, you can imagine. And and what it is not is that due diligence fails, that the, that the buyer gets in there and finds that your financials aren't what you said they were and all that. That's not that common. That, that, that has happened. The, the, there's three main categories of reasons. Um, one of them is that, that remember the seller, my client really has to have confidence in the buyer. They have to have confidence that they're going to be a good fit, take care of their people and all that. So one third of the reason uh, it fails is that my clients call me. Remember, it's like dating. On the on the third date, you thought she was the one. By the ninth date, you were having second thoughts. It's like that. So, you know, now we've got to know these people. We set up weekly phone calls. We've had site visits, you know, but my client will call me a couple months in and said, you know, those guys were have done this, have done that, they've said this, I'm now very uncomfortable. And our training is we won't even ask questions, that, that's it, they're gone, and we'll, we'll, we, we always have buyers in, in reserve that we can plug into the process. So it's, it's the seller actually deciding it's a bad fit for his business. And there's a combination of reasons for that that we could go into, but so that's one third. One third of the reason is that um, that we have funding issues, that we, we we agree to deal with the heads of terms, we get into the deal and into DD, and for lots of different reasons, uh, we find that the funding is not going to work the way we thought it was going to be, and so we can't hit the valuations or the cash flows, and the deal just doesn't work, um, or, or we can't get funding at all. Um, so that happens a lot. We, fund, funding's hard, and, and so the, the deals become unfundable for that particular buyer. So that buyer goes out, a new buyer comes in who can't get funding, and away we go. Um, uh, one third of the reason, uh, or, or maybe not quite a third, but maybe 20%, is that during that process, this is a multi-month process, my client's financials decline. Mm. And when the financials decline, now what happens is nobody has confidence in what the future cash flows are going to be. It becomes very difficult it, to know, you know, what is the, are they going to continue to decline? Are they going to recover? You know, so we end up having to wait uh, and, and pause transactions. And so that happens a lot. And, and maybe only 10% of the time does the buyer get in there and find that what was maybe even less than that, that what, real due diligence failures where they get in and find there's there's issues with the business that we didn't see when we made the offers or the financials were misstated, things like that are, are not that common. Um, we're, we normally catch that stuff long before it happens, but it, it's normally like that. It's normally it's normally either funding issues or people issues if you want to boil it down, and um, and and um, and and things go on for too long, and, and people get impatient, and and things like that. And 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 the the in getting to know each other, you know, we do part during due diligence. We do, do the actual due diligence you'd expect. We we populate the lockers with all kinds of stuff. We then do a funding stream. We then do a post sale planning stream. And when the sellers decide to buy them and the buyer aren't going to work out is generally around that post-sale planning. It just it, the, what it's going to look like after the sale just isn't matching the expectations and, and the people are getting uncomfortable. And sometimes the key people can get uncomfortable. And it's things like that that break down. It's, it, it's, more, it's mostly people issues at this level. 
So let's assume it does go ahead. Yep. The, the seller, you know, is comfortable with the buyer, the due diligence, you know, they don't find yep. any skeletons in the closet and, and the funding all works and they can put a deal together. What's the involvement of the founders or the owners of the business, you know, once the, the, the paperwork's signed? What, you know, are they off the hook at this stage? Are they are they they on the beach drinking pina coladas? Are they you know what what involvement or ongoing risk? Since we're talking about risk, um, so it's a good question. So a couple of things. One is I always tell people the purpose of a business sale normally, right, it, is that it, the guy selling it can leave, and it's important to understand that. So when people come to us with with deal proposals where someone's going to stay in the business for a period of time. Um, what happens is that those deals don't close or they're very unhappy after the fact because they end up doing the same amount of work they were doing, but someone else is collecting the profit. Now, the exception to that is when the business is acquired, I call it getting beamed up into mothership. They get they get acquired by a company that supercharges their model. You know, they've hit a certain level with a certain kind of technology, for example, and they, they're only able to sell so much because they get acquired by a larger company, they can run it out to a mass market. That's a different scenario because you're getting you're getting acquired to supercharge yourself. But in a scenario where the business is just gonna run as it always has and the owner's going to stick around for three years, It'll it, generally those are not healthy scenarios because the guy, remember the switch? The guy was selling the business so he could leave. He could go to the beach and him staying in the business, A, isn't what this was for. B, he will feel bad because he's he's working, this, doing the same thing, but someone else is achieving the profits. And C, he was meant to be leaving. And, and if he was feeling wanting to leave, how is he going to feel when it's not even his business and also most entrepreneurs haven't you know they haven't had a boss and so you know having a boss is, is difficult so typically because of that we have transitions where we say you've got to stick around for a period of time for a handover now if he has a very strong team under him like we've talked about and he's been golfing for you know or whatever way for three weeks the transition can be very short because his team already operationally knows how to run the business. And so the handover is just a strategic handover, typically to a non-exec board with maybe a chairman and stuff like that, that, that maybe happens over a period of, you know, of six months. If he needs to stay in the business, typically it'll be simply to be handing stuff over to the new people, helping show them the ropes and stuff like that. And there's a tail off. But I always use... We used to say, oh, it could be 12 months, 18 months, whatever. And what happens, everybody has the best intentions, but you know, you ever have the idea when you're selling a house that you're gonna, when the new people come in, you're gonna do this for them and that for them and tell them where things are and all this. And then moving day comes and you move and you think a week later, you never thought about it again because the energy shifted. Yeah. The same thing happens at the end of a business sale is, is that, that there's an energy shift. There's new ownership. New. It's like having a new prime minister. And 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 there's a period where everyone's still at. But within about a month, the whole power dynamic has changed. And it doesn't feel good for the owner because he's no longer the boss anymore. The, and maybe he has been for 20 years. And so there's a natural exiting off ramp process. So I always say I, I just from a human perspective, it's very difficult for that to go longer than than six months at on a full-time basis. Now there are certain scenarios where the owner has key commercial relationships. He plays golf, does all that with key commercial, and it that's a those those like very specific tasks are normal maybe for him to go on for longer for, for a couple of years or something like that. But he's no longer in the business. He's simply doing sort of an outsourced role. Um, and uh, while somebody else is worrying about the day to day and stuff like that, that's that's my observation. Uh, again, this can people might have different observations. That's my view. But 
So anything we can do to reduce the um, obligation or need for ongoing involvement is all part of the de-risking process. It, absolutely, because it's it's how it feels after the fact anyway. Yeah. And um, yeah, definitely. Energetically, they've moved on at this point, and that's that's the best scenario we're looking for, isn't it? So Ken, look, you've shared so what, so much of your knowledge today, and 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 it's been fascinating talking to you. So look. I'm just wondering, of all the things you've shared, what's what's the key message you, you'd like listeners to walk away from our conversation, understanding and and knowing? Um, I think that um, when someone's selling a business next to getting married and having kids, it's the most important thing they do in their life. Uh, it's a big life transition, and that we should all take it really, really seriously. And and the buyers are spending a lot of money and taking on a big commitment. And it and it's not a it's not a transaction like a like a real estate or a buying or selling a car. It's it, there's a lot of human lives involved, and that we should take it very, very seriously and and do a good job with it and and operate honestly and with integrity and and honor the 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 life situations of the people involved. Mm. Okay, so it's the it's the biggest decision and 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 requires the same amount of energy investment that's brilliant ken i appreciate your time today thanks for sharing your your thoughts and your exit insights with us thank you it's been a pleasure Dale. Mm.